0: From the offices of Cocktail Collective, this is Cocktails Distilled, a podcast that takes your favourite spirits and cures from the still to the cocktail glass. In each episode, we talk to distillers and creators about particular expressions that their brand have released, what they are, why they were created, and in what cocktails they can be used. Are you ready to understand what's in your glass, or perhaps should be? Welcome to Cocktails Distilled. In a sea of liquor liqueurs can often be that overlooked element but they're also one of the most important when it comes to making cocktails liqueurs are used to give our cocktails a twist of flavor and they can be made from anything ranging from fruits to herbs and spices and everything in between one australian producer marionette liqueurs believes it's not just about the flavor but also where and how liqueurs are produced marionette are about creating classic liqueurs with australian fruit all designed with the modern bartender in mind and we're here today with nick tessa from marionette liqueurs thank you for joining us nick
1: thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me
0: so with so many people distilling spirits at the moment what made you think of producing a liqueur or a range of liqueurs uh, i guess the, the starting point was that we,
1: we saw a gap in the market there was uh, So much great production in Australia, but no one was doing liqueurs, Uh, you know, in a cocktail sense. We also have a a passion for local produce, and there's so much great local produce in Australia that is of a world-class nature that uh, often doesn't see the light of day. And we got excited about this, and that's where we all kicked off from.
0: Now, for those who may not know, can you explain the difference in producing a liqueur to producing a spirit, for example?
1: Uh, so, classically, a liqueur doesn't even have to be distilled. Uh, you take a, a neutral base spirit and you macerate fruit. Um, I guess the biggest difference between a spirit and a liqueur is sugar.
0: Mm.
1: Uh, sugar is a big part of a liqueur. Uh, different parts of the world have different definitions of what or the amount of sugar that is required to be a liqueur. I believe in Australia it's 100 grams per liter. Right. That's neither here nor there. The, the basis is that a liqueur is a, a sweet spirit whereas a, a spirit in general is uh, unsweetened and often higher in alcohol.
0: Okay. And for Marinette, do you distill your own base spirit or do you source it outside?
1: We, we source the, the base spirit, it's Mildred Spirit, uh, which is a New South Wales spirit refinery. Okay. Um, but we, unlike a lot of classical liqueur productions, we do distill most of our products. Right. Uh, in that we, we macerate and then we distill the fruit to concentrate the residual alcohol post-maceration to extract more flavour, but also get as much out of the, the fruit as we possibly can.
0: There, there are a number of foreign liqueurs on the market that if people wanted to, they could get their hands on. How important is it to have an Australian? It's, it's fantastic. It's, uh, it allows us to highlight what the
1: primary producers of Australia are doing. We work directly with local farmers, to produce our spirits. So mm-hmm. this morning we were cutting up blood oranges that had come directly from Nigeria. They were picked within the last two days and shipped straight down. Right, uh, it, it allows us to, to highlight that primary production and tell the story of where things are being produced in Australia and what time of year they're being produced. So
0: does that mean that you work seasonally or at least you need to gather your fruits and produce everything that you're going to produce of that particular fruit at one time of the year? Absolutely, so we work with
1: farmers to capture the products at the peak of the season, um, not, so, not necessarily distilling or starting macerations exactly when the season is but preserving the fruit
0: in a means that can be replicated throughout the year consistently. Now I know that you have a relationship with a Tasmanian fam- farming family for a lot of your um, berries, um, how did that come
1: about? I was reading an article. Well, first of all, uh, Sean, my business partner, identified that he'd really like to start by making a cassis. Uh, he was fascinated by the classic Burgundian style of liqueur and wanted to to make our own. And so we were looking for growers of black currants in Australia. And uh, I found an article in the Australian newspaper from about five or six years ago that was highlighting these crops that were being grown in a little town called Westaway. Okay. Um, and went down the rabbit hole and made a few phone calls and then ended up getting on to Richard, uh, and we've been working with ever since.
0: Has it been quite a hunt to find some of the specialty fruits? Absol- absolutely. Um, with
1: the, the Clark family down in Tasmania, we were lucky enough that I don't think we would have necessarily sought out red currants unless they were growing them. Uh, right, okay. Uh, red currants being quite a specialty item yeah. uh, and quite quite scarce we can only produce about 300 bottles a year because of the amount that the Clark family grows right and, and we're happy with that it's a a kind of a forgotten liqueur if you will yeah um, we also have the blackberries coming from the Clark family and in the future we'll no doubt get raspberries from them right then um, everything else has been kind of searching out where is the best place in Australia for that fruit to grow um, for the the stone fruit We've okay. got apricots currently, and we will have peaches in the not-too-distant future, coming from Goulburn. And okay. we looked up that area because of the history in Australia of the um, in the region, um, the old James Tompkins ads of Peaches, Mangus, Peaches, yeah. but also because my family's got connections there, and that's where we knew that the SBC canning factory had shut down and the farmers were doing it pretty tough, trying to, to move their seconds through. So we, we went up there and... Um, found the Mandavani family and okay. I've been working with them since
0: yeah.
1: uh, and that, that's kind of the process identifying what we want to make and what we are looking for and um, yes which fruits or which varieties of that fruit will be best for making what we want to make and then finding finding an appropriate farmer to work with because right. we want to establish that relationship so we can be consistent throughout
0: Yeah. It must be nice to actually have that one on one with the people who are producing what you're using.
1: It's absolutely fantastic. It's uh, given some very, very proud moments. Um, John drove down to Melbourne to get a case of the apricot brandy to serve at his daughter's christening to his friends and family, which is very special. And I I got a selfie of um, Richard Clark sitting in Black Pearl one night drinking a drink that had. the fruit that he grew in the form of a liqueur
0: exactly. and uh, yep. he,
1: he was stoked that he'd Googled the bar that I'd told him to go to and it was the 20th best bar in the world and he was drinking his product, yep. which is, uh, it's pretty special.
0: Now you talked about um, finding farmers in particular areas that grow that particular fruit really well. Do you believe in that case that liqueur can have terroir?
1: Absolutely. And seasonal change. I expect that the fruit that we get from one season to another will be marginally different. And no. we, we plan to embrace that. Uh, we want to make it as consistent in, as possible in terms of production. Mm-hmm. And the, the fruit will have different elements each year. Um, we were actually quite concerned this year about uh, the potential for smoke tainted fruit. And haven't seen any yet. But, okay. uh, there were fires coming through Tasmania at the time of harvest. And they were, oh, okay. they were quite concerned about smoke taint, the same way you have in wine. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of uh, citrus there's, there's big differences in the, the floral notes that come from blood oranges from year to year the intensity of the bitterness in the Seville oranges mm. uh, in, the, in the apricots we'll, we'll see different levels of the, the marzipan element coming from the kernels uh, as the way the fruit ripens okay. um, and we use a sweet and a sour apricot and I imagine those will change over time and that they won't be the exact same in terms of taste every single year and we, we plan to embrace that that's the beautiful thing about using a
0: real product mm. does that mean that your the, the the way that you produce it needs to change every year to to try and get something that is relatively consistent
1: absolutely we, we test for, for alcohol and sugar and uh, we need to make sure that we adjust the sugar uh the, the fruit will give off different levels of sugar also the dilution that is given off from the fruit will uh, change, mm. so everything is adjusted based on that to to bring it to a consistent platform.
0: Yeah,
1: but the production is very similar. It's more of the the end adjustment that's uh, that's the case. We haven't noticed uh, too greater seasonal change uh, to have to greatly adapt recipes. Okay, yeah.
0: going on the idea of tour, how do you believe that? For let's take the cassis for example. Um, how is it different in its flavour than a French cassis. Uh,
1: the the fruit that we use is a variety called white by black currant. Uh, they're quite a thick skin with a little resinous little top, and that gives us a quite a high acid product, which is is very classic. Mm. But um, at the same time, the thick skins give us more of a tannin structure, so that in the process where we use the distillation and keep the cooked water post distillation, it gives us that extra tannin structure to to carry through, which is quite different from Burgundian cassis right. uh, the other the other big difference is that we have a lot less sugar mm. uh, we don't we're not making a creme de cassis we're making just a cassis and that allows more of those green grassy uh, bright characters to shine
0: through. in the flavors that you've chosen you're replicating European liqueurs. Are you at some stage going to start looking at doing native liqueurs or do you think that the, the market isn't ready for that
1: maybe maybe separately to marionette but marionette is about classic cocktail liqueurs working directly with local farmers and that's that's the kind of uh outline that we're doing for ourselves okay so as, as long as it's a classic cocktail liqueur and we can work directly with an individual farmer then in theory we'll, we'll have a, a crack at making it okay uh but more of your native and alternative spirits will be
0: uh Possibly a different project, but yeah, not under marionette. Okay. Now you've got um, six liqueurs at the moment. Do you want to run through each of them and talk about what they are and what their flavours are?
1: Absolutely. Uh, we, the first one we produced was the the cassis. We call it a dry cassis because it's got lower sugar. This is the white by black currants I was talking about from Tasmania, from the, the Clark family. We've been chuffed at how, how it's been received. It's won best liqueur in Australia for the last two years at the Distilled Spirits Awards which is phenomenal because we had no idea what to expect in terms of reception the first year. Right. Um, we moved on to a curacao after that. Uh, curacao refers to the, the bitter orange, classically coming from the Isle of Curacao. Right. We worked with we work with the Goldup family up in Mildura yeah. and source blood, navel, and seville oranges, seville being the bitter orange in Australia, mm-hmm. to produce this liqueur. Two different distillations, three macerations, all combined into French oak okay. for three weeks before being filtered and bottled
0: wow okay
1: yeah Uh, we'd like to make things complicated Uh, after that we moved on to the apricot brandy liqueur right Uh we source brandy from the St Agnes distillery in South Australia right and the Ango family have been producing spirit there for five generations a fantastic production family Uh, making some of the best brandies going around Uh, we've sourced the apricots from the Mendefani family in Northern Victoria, in Cobram, mm-hmm. and we get, combine a sweet and sour apricot to produce it, but we also hand crack all of the, the seeds inside, dry them out and collect the kernels. Oh, I'll and use a tincture. That would be a process. Yeah, walk around with uh, some pretty stiff hands for a few months afterwards. Yeah. And use that as a tincture to add back to the, the blend before putting that one into French oak as well. Right. Produced two more liqueurs from the Clark family in Tasmania. We've got a grise, which is red currant. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kind of a forgotten cocktail liqueur. It was written about in the Savoy Cocktail book as more of a syrup de grise and has been replicated in Yeneva liqueurs, Mm -hmm. so Dutch spirit liqueurs, uh, but not really seen on the market anymore. Would it have a sort of a taste like Ribena? So the the black currant's more Ribena-esque. And the, the red currant is more, for me, Christmas. It tastes, okay. it tastes like your your currant jelly, or uh, I used to work in a fruit shop when I was at university, and there was a, a one week period of the year where you get fresh red currants, and that was always in that Christmas week. Yeah, I think that's probably why it tastes like Christmas to me. No,
0: yeah. enough. Yeah, very very
1: bright, but a little bit of a sherry element to it as well in terms of the fruit. Uh, the mure, which is blackberries, these are also from the Clark family. Mm-hmm. Uh, we ended up having to, to boost the uh, level of fruit in in that product greatly just because to get the fruit extraction that we wanted was uh, 50% more fruit than any of the other liqueurs. Really? It's, it's, it's heaps. I think it, it works out to be just under 400 grams of fruit per bottle. Okay. Which is... That seems large, a lot, right? 500ml bottle. Yeah. Uh, and finally, we've recently released an amaretto as well. Right. And the amaretto is from... Uh, Allen's from an, a neighbour of the, the Gold Ups up in Mildura, the Keen family. Okay. Uh, and it was quite quite a, a process to, to figure out how to produce it because most of you see on the market now are, are made from essences and apricot kernels Yeah. not actually almonds anymore. Oh, okay,
0: that's interesting. We
1: wanted to really highlight those those almonds. Yeah. So we used a number of different macerations, uh, a touch of musket in there because we, we believe everything needs a bit of acid balance. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also adds those tertiary characteristics. We do use the apricot kernels that we preserve from... The harvest of apricots from the Apricot Brandy Liqueur, uh, and then blend everything together uh, to make a, a quite cloudy and unique amaretto. Right. It's not not like what you expect.
0: Okay. But a little bit bitter as well with the uh, the almond skins in there. Now, what's I mean, you, you you're talking about the macerations and and some of them being put into oak and all of that sort of stuff. What sort of time length are we looking at for doing some of these? The longest process is the berries. And that's about twelve weeks from start to
1: finish. Okay. To make a liqueur. Right. So there's a bit of forward planning going on there, which is Yes. A new new skill for all of us. Um, the others if you take out the, the process of capturing the fruit or preserving the fruit, then
0: uh, anywhere from four weeks to, to twelve weeks. Is right. It's okay. Not an overnight process. No, no. So it's gonna take a lot longer than doing a gin, for example. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. But it also allows us to work with all of the, the
1: fantastic gym producers who are coming through in Australia. It's quite, quite a boom. Mm. seeing quite a resurgence in, the, in the, the craft spirits market because of this boom in gym.
0: Yeah. Now, you're talking about um, collaborating with St Agnes for the brandy. What other brands have you been collaborating with?
1: We've, we've done two collaboration products so far. We've done the Fancy Fruit Cup with the gents over at Never Never. Right. They produce some fantastic gin and, uh, for their fruit cup. We send them a fair bit of curacao. Right, that goes into the mix with uh, tea and spirit tinctures. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got some pepperberry extra juniper, cardamom in there as well um, to be blended to make a, a classic fruit cup style spirit. Yeah. for all of your uh, fancy cups over the summer periods, especially for, for Adelaide with the the cricket. Yes, uh, we also made a strawberry gin. Spice Strawberry Gin with the, the folks over at Brogan's Way. Simon and mm. Brogan are doing a fantastic job. They're producing, uh, I think they've got four gins now, which are amazing. Right, yeah. Um, Brogan's, I think she's six years younger than me and has a wealth of knowledge and is the, the distiller. Um, Simon's her father and they, they make a fantastic team. Yeah. And we've taken their, taken their gin and macerated strawberries. This was all around the time of the... The Needles and Strawberry Saga. So, oh, Sex, yes. We're working with a farmer, and they've had to install metal detectors in their uh, packaging lines, and oh, all of these extra costs, and yeah. so so much of the, the strawberries were going <clears throat> and getting dumped as cattle feed, or just dumped in uh, compost, essentially. Mm. Such a such a waste. So, we worked to preserve the strawberries after this, right, and yeah. um, all of the seconds, ugly fruit that we we could, and macerated those or soaked those in. The Rogan's gin, mm. we also added a tincture of basil and pepperberry to make this strawberry spice gin.
0: That sounds amazing. Uh, the
1: strawberries yeah. are also re-distilled after being soaked in the gin, so you're concentrating all of
0: that, that flavour mm. to add back again. So we've, we've talked about the six that you have, what plans for new ones have you got coming up?
1: Uh, we've got a, a work in progress, it's not very far off at all, with uh, Orlando Matze, the current world-class bartender champion. Mm. From, uh, Diageo's international cocktail competition. I used to work with him at a restaurant called Lume, and uh, we're making uh, an orcino to his classic Italian recipe. Okay. Uh, with uh, Mick, who's a farmer up in the Yarra Valley with green walnuts, and that's currently sitting in an ex red wine cask maturing. So that'll be out sometime in the next six or eight weeks.
0: Okay. Um, Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that?
1: So, so green walnut liqueur is a more of a, a bitter digestive style. Okay. Uh, it gives you this incredible sulphurous flavour when you you soak it in spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we've soaked the green walnuts in in spirit, but then also added a few native tinctures and other spices to it.
0: Okay, and how would you use it, for example? Well, what what
1: flavours would it go with? Or look, I, I think it's fantastic just as is. Uh, it also makes a really nice uh, highball adjuster. So with a, a touch of whiskey, okay. um, citrus, really nice in a spritz. It's just that, that bitter adjusting element. it. Mm. Uh, and then if you're having a bit of a nightcap, it works quite well stirred down as a as an adjuster in a in more of an old-fashioned style cocktail. Okay. What else is in the cards? Peach. We're not far off finalizing peach trials. I think okay. we, we should be able to finalize the recipe in the next month and then we'll get started on the first proper batch of that. Right. Uh, we'll make a strawberry liqueur as well in the not-too-distant future. Okay. Uh, with all of those strawberries being preserved from last season, um, and that will, will follow on from the peach. And then Sean <laughs> keeps telling everyone that we're going to produce 20 in total. Uh, I think we'll, we'll limit ourselves to maybe three or four new products a year.
0: Right, yeah. Now, let's say someone has bought a bottle of the cassis, they're not that amazing at putting cocktails together, but they've, they've got it, they've brought it home. What do they do with it? With the cassis, uh,
1: the best thing to do is make a kia. Kias are a family of cocktails where you're adding a, a, a wine or sparkling element to, to the cassis. Okay. Classically, it was made with aligote, which is why I say a wine element, which mm-hmm. is a, a still wine from the Burgundian region because it's where it's Originally from, uh, we see Kia Royales as a cassis dosed with sparkling wine now, which is oh. the, the most common version of the cocktail. Um, my favourite, personally, is a Kia Normand, which is dosing cassis with dry cider.
0: Okay.
1: Um, and there's also a trend to sour beers or wheat beers being dosed, which is a Kia beer. Right.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: we, we recommend one part cassis to five parts sparkling, yeah. so it's 15ml to 75ml. Yeah, works
0: very well. Now, you've been going for two years now? Yeah. two Almost three? No, just, so just, just, just one, two. Just two. I think we released okay. our first product two years ago in October. Right. Okay. And yeah. you've mentioned that um, the Cassis has won awards. Has it been what you expected?
1: I don't think we knew what we were getting ourselves into. We we're four, four friends from hospitality backgrounds, so all of us still in hospitality, who, who set out on this adventure and... It's, it's fantastic. It's it's a great community. It's it's a lot of hard work. And I, I don't think we understood the entire process when we first started, Right. Oh, yes. uh, I don't think we still do. I mean, there's so much to learn and so much to uh, to progress in terms of getting better. Mm. But I think we're, we're doing a pretty good job. It'll be a lot of challenges in the future as we grow to try and uh, be consistent in terms of making sure we've got all the products we've already got before Releasing another one and making sure we're keeping up with demand in that way.
0: How difficult has it been has it been to keep up with demand?
1: It's a, a little bit of a balancing act. Yes, yeah. uh, we haven't run out of anything yet. the The support from the, the local hospitality industry has been phenomenal. People really get behind local, and mm. it's it's great to see your friends in bars making drinks with the, product the products yeah. that you've been slaving away. Yeah, at um, it's it's incredibly rewarding. Um, it's also Great engagement. There's so many people care about what their friends are doing and how it's being done and why the the local industry exists. Mm-hmm. Um, they they want to come and see us prepping the fruit and where it's coming from and um, and how everything's made. It's yeah. it's a, a beautiful engagement with the industry.
0: I was going to ask how have bartenders reacted to various liqueurs and which one which liqueur seems to be the standout.
1: In terms of Pick up from bars the the curacao. Curacao is one of the most used liqueurs in a in a bar mm-hmm. or orange liqueurs. Orange is called for in a great deal of classic cocktails. The sidecar, margarita, white lady, they all call for a classic orange liqueur. Right, yeah. um, which means it, it is the the highest volume and most used in bars. But in terms of list, it's been quite varied. Uh, the apricot brandy liqueur has been. Uh, used in a lot of lists as a cocktail adjuster, especially over the winter months. Okay, yeah. A little bit more warming.
0: Are you finding that bartenders are being inspired by the liqueurs that you're making and creating things specially for them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's been some, some really phenomenal drinks. Um, there's, there's so much creativity and so much talent in the industry. Uh, lots, of, lots of young people coming through with uh, so much energy, which mm. is fantastic. Uh, the guys up at Bar Rochford made one recently, which was a, a real standout for me. I can't remember what the cocktail was called, but Esteban put the cocktail together with uh, gin and mandarin and amaretto, and it was delicious. It was a, a sour-style cocktail.
0: Right,
1: yeah. Um, the guys at Black Pearl have been very supportive and had a, a number of specials on it upstairs in the attic. Uh, really great drinks.
0: Yeah. For someone who's making cocktails at home, what sort of cocktails... Would you recommend for, uh, let's see, the Muir? I think a bramble is the best cocktail uh, for, for the Muir. Yeah. I,
1: I really like that as a, as a summer cleanser
0: yeah. uh,
1: gin, lemon, sugar, and a, a drizzle of blackberry on top. Is, it's quite a, a way to spend an afternoon. Who do you see as your ideal consumer? Anyone who is passionate about what they consume and where it comes from. Okay. Um, we believe that we are encouraging local farmers, but also encouraging the the best quality that we can in terms of drinks. We we believe in drinking a little bit better and uh, a bit less as well. Uh, I think that if you can use better ingredients or uh, local ingredients, which are going to no doubt be a bit more expensive, Mm. um, then that will lead to really crafting something that's special for friends, family whoever you're making it for, for yourself. Um, And that that type of energy spent to to craft that drink makes it special, but also means that
0: maybe you don't need to have as many. Right, yes. So it becomes quality over quantity.
1: Absolutely. Right.
0: Is there a liqueur that you guys really, really would love to make, but you're worried that there may not be the demand? Uh,
1: Absolutely. Um, Sean's adamant that an advocate is... uh, Something we need to do. Yeah. I'd pick up being a an egg liqueur, uh, vanilla and egg. Uh, I believe it's Dutch. I don't think there's going to be very much demand for that. No, I think yeah. that that'll be more specialty. I uh, I've seen the the great success of uh, a few banana liqueurs, and I don't know if uh, if we need more, but I, I'd love to to have a tri- have a crack at that one day. Right, yeah. being from Queensland, um, I think the the ones that I'd really like to see are apple and pear, but I. Just not sure yet how to do it.
0: Right, okay.
1: Um, that's, that's something for the next couple of years to figure out.
0: And is a lot of that just research? Absolutely. Going through old books and trying to see Absolutely. if you can find recipes to. But
1: also, trial and error. Right. You need to fail a lot of times before you get it right. Right. Which is a lot of fun. Yeah. It's, it's like being back in a science lab at school and, and plenty of experimentation and finding out what, what truly works yeah. and how to make that consistent.
0: Are there any liqueurs that you've found in your research that don't actually exist anymore today, um, but did did exist and the, but no one's actually managed to?
1: Well, Grasse is is the closest to that. There's,
0: okay,
1: there's a, a, a tiny bit of production. Yeah, but really, it's it's not being done anymore. Okay. Um, the only ones I can find are in Univa, um, and that's that. For us, was pretty special to to be able to work with a farmer to make that because mm. um, it's, it's, it's quite unique yeah uh, there, there will never be very much demand for it, but that's fine because we can also only make about 300 bottles a year right
0: yeah when you don't have a reference though, how do you know when you're making it right? You don't necessarily
1: okay but you the aim for us is to be true to that local fruit right so okay. if the, the product that we're making is true to that fruit and we're happy with the flavor and the, the profile. And how it mixes how yeah. how it stands up in cocktails then i guess that's right for us
0: traditionally liqueurs tend to come in tall thin dark glass bottles you went completely the other way with a shorter more open i would say um bottle that is actually quite elegant with its stopper and all of that what inspired you to choose that
1: we wanted a, a smaller bottle we thought that uh, liqueurs uh, Will degrade over time, being lower alcohol. We mm. wanted to have that as part of our message to to use it yeah. to not to not leave it sitting there for a longer period of time because it will perish over time. Yeah, uh, especially the low alcohol berry numbers will oxidize, so mm. they need to be kept in the fridge and they need to be used over the course of three months. While after opening, really,
0: mm.
1: we we like the bottle. It's uh it's a off the shelf bottle. It's not a custom bottle yeah. that can be sourced consistently it's great for batching uh so that's uh the opportunity to reuse is there yeah and lauren who's one of the four of us is a fantastic designer and put all the rest of the pieces together we we trust her implicitly she's done a, a fantastic job
0: yeah what do you see as the biggest hurdles for the brand
1: uh growth growth managing growth will be uh the biggest hurdle uh being able to be consistent while growing product lines but also yeah. uh, keeping up with production of other things um, yeah. cash flow over the next few years as we reinvest everything into more fruit and more equipment and yeah. uh, to, to be able to sustain that growth is going to be a balancing act yeah. um, working with working with the farmers and finding the right farmers for what we do yeah. um, there's there's farmers that are going to face pressures to pull out uh, crops that are Making less money. the The Seville orange is a big one. The yeah. the reason we found the farming that we found is because not very many farmers grow those fruit anymore because they don't make as much money as a sweet orange crop. Right. Yeah. Um. Same same story with the apricots. Uh. Working with those farmers to make sure that they're getting enough, that they keep producing these styles of fruit that are integral to what we
0: produce. Mm-hmm. Okay. I imagine that you're available all across Australia. And specialty liquor stores. Absolutely. We are distributed by Vanguard Luxury Brands
1: there. Right. Uh, which is incredibly exciting for us because they've got tremendous reach.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and they're all across Australia. Um, we've got local distributors in Tasmania and South Australia separate, but Vanguard's pushing out everywhere else. Mm-hmm.
0: And do you have plans to start looking to export?
1: Yes. We've got to work to satisfy the Australian market properly first, make wow. sure that we keep we up and uh, consistent there. Yeah. But uh, at the same time, there we've had a few phone calls and a few discussions about sending a few bottles of booze overseas. Okay. Truly really
0: exciting. Where did the name come from?
1: The, the company that we started is called Captain Bells, which is a reference to an old poem talking about uh, the jester being the most noble in the courtroom. And that's how we view ourselves in hospitality. Uh, a hospitality worker is often the most educated and knowledgeable on the uh, subject matter mm-hmm. and being food and drink. Yeah. But they're to make sure that everyone has a really good time and to curate others' entertainment. Yeah. And that's how we see ourselves. And in that regard, the marionette is a, a puppet in the show. Um, within a, a cocktail, the liqueur is part of the, the the storytelling, the puppet in the show to tell the overall story. Yeah. Um, so that's how it tied in.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah. All right, Nick, well, look, if people want more information, they can obviously go to your website, which is marionette.com.au. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Cheers. And we'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Cocktails Distilled. Be sure to visit cocktailcollective.com.au to access the show notes. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Until next time, cheers.